Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. It says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now go with me a few pages over, swipe a few spots on your device and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 14, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savior of the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now one of the things I want to point out, we'll get dive into 2 Corinthians later on this month. But both verses start with thanksgiving. Which lets me know that if I want to experience victory, then guess what? I should start my day with praise. That if I want to experience winning and victory this year, if I want to experience unprecedented victory this year, then every day I should wake up, one of the first things out of my mouth is, Father, I thank you for the victory. I'll say it again. If I want to experience it every single day without fail, one of the first things I say is thank you for the victory. If I want it, then that's what I need to do. Because I don't think it's a coincidence that both scriptures that start with, about victory and triumph, start with thanksgiving. We'll get into it later, but remember the story in 2 Chronicles 20, how the praise team went before the army, saying, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. They're going into battle, but they said, before the battle, we're going to praise God. And because praise went before them, they had an unprecedented victory. And so if you want that in your life, you're going to have to start your day with praise. Instead of, oh, it's Monday, oh, I'm tired, all this, all that. No, thank God. Oh, my kids are still in Zoom school, thank God. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, thank God. Oh, I don't feel well, thank God. Oh, I'm quarantined, thank God. In the midst of everything, give thanks. We don't give thanks for everything, but in the midst of everything, we give thanks. Because we know the character and the nature of our God. We know he's going to cause us to triumph. We know he's going to give us the victory. So it doesn't matter what battle we may face, we start with praise. Why? We're faith people. We're the only people who will celebrate when it looks like we're losing. We're the only people who will do a touchdown dance when it's fourth and 40. That's who we are. And if we expect victory then we need to praise him for it in advance. Yes, some of you can dance at church. That's great. But you need to be able to dance when Minister Dathan ain't there singing. You need to be able to thank God when you feel like saying anything else but thank you. If you want to experience victory, you need to start your day thanking God. This is a year of winning and victory, a year of unprecedented victory. Now, back in November, I was sharing with Bishop some of the things the Lord had spoken to us through the utterance gifts in November. And he said, that's exactly what's in my spirit. And we started talking about the year of victory. He started sharing with me about the year of restoration they had up there in their lives and in Word of Faith. I shared with some things that were going on with us. And we started talking about expecting the victory, expecting winning and victory. And when he was sharing on New Year's, you know, one of the things I saw when he gave the definition of winning, gaining success in competition or contest, Winning is what you do every day. That if you want to experience victory, you got to win. So that means there are some things you're going to come up against on the daily basis that you're going to have to confront. And sometimes we've been really good at ignoring things and calling it faith. Oh, I just won't deal with it. You know, God's got it. But God's called you to confront it. If you're going to use your faith, you got to confront it. Jesus said, speak to the mountain, not ignore the mountain. He spoke to the fig tree, not ignore the fig tree. There are some things you have to confront. But through the process of winning, 
you'll experience the victory. And victory is defined as conquest, the defeat of an enemy in battle, or an antagonist in contest. It is gaining of the superior, superiority in war or combat. Victory supposes the power of an enemy or an antagonist to prove inferior to that of the victor. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Verse 57. But thanks be to God. So let's pause right there and thank God for the victory. Father, we thank you for the victory. Wherever you are right now, in this sanctuary, watching online, go ahead and lift your hands wherever you are. Father, we thank you for the victory. We thank you that this is a year of winning and victory. We thank you that you cause us to triumph. We thank you that you give us the victory. Our expectation is on victory, and we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ gives us the victory. So that means victory is a gift. Here's the point I want you to, if you forget everything else, remember this. Victory is a gift. Do you have to work for a gift? You just receive it. Now, what if I told you this is your gift? I'm going to put it right here. All you have to do is receive it. Go take it. It's still a gift. But what if you say, well, I want the gift to show up right here. You'll miss out on the gift. So that means if I want the gift of victory, I need to make sure I'm where God wants me to be doing what he wants me to do so I can receive the gift. Say, victory is a gift. One more time, say, victory is a gift. You're watching online, go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, victory is a gift. Now go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Victory is a gift. Now, when it comes to gifts from God, how do we receive gifts from God? By faith, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And one of the things I want you to realize is whatever you are saved by, you live by. Whatever you are saved by, you live by. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved. So what are you saved by? Grace. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the what of God? One of the definitions of grace is gift. And in the verse, it defines what it's talking about. We're saved by grace. It is a gift. We do not have to work for our salvation. We receive the gift of salvation. How to receive it? By or through faith. Now, this example, we've used it before. So, guys, make sure you take the camera over here so the people online can see it. So we have a door here. How many see it's a door? It's not a trick question. There's a door. Online, everywhere, it's a door. People just listening can't see it. I'm pointing at a door. This door, eh, I guess it's two doors, so it might be worth about 200 bucks. You get labor, about 100 bucks more or less to install it. It's not that expensive. But what if I told you behind the door is your favorite car? Whether it's a Maybach or a Mercedes or whatever your favorite car is, like loaded up, beautiful. That car depending on your taste, is easily in the six figures. But you have to go through the door to get the car. The only way to get the car is by going through this door. Now, what's more valuable, the door or the car? How many say the car? How many say the door? Let's go through this one more time. This door is about 300 bucks. That car is six figures. What's more valuable? The car. But if I want the car, I'm going to have to go through the door. Grace is valuable. It's more valuable than faith. But if I want the grace, I have to go through the door. If I want the grace, I have to go through faith. If I want the victory, 
I have to go through faith because the victory, that gift is behind the door. And if I want my victory, I'm going to have to get it through the doorway of faith. Whatever you're saved by, you live by. And I'm saved by grace through faith. So that means my lifestyle has to be grace through faith. I believe I'm receiving the gifts of God through faith. Whatever God has made available to me, I have to receive it through faith. I'm not going to get it another way. Everything I get from God is by faith. And he said, well, I received some things from God, and I wasn't believing, but somebody believed for you. And it hit your life as a mercy, but somebody had faith somewhere. It might have been your mama, your grandmama, your great-great-great-grandma you never met but knew how to pray. And things hit your life because they had faith. They may not have known all the terms to use, but they knew how to say the blood of Jesus, and it hits your life generations later. So if you want to receive something from God, it is grace through faith. The way to victory is through faith. So go to Mark chapter 11. Victory is a gift. Victory is a gift, but you must go through faith to get it. And also I want to add to it, we'll get to it later today and in the series, that doesn't mean you just stay on your couch. Well, victory is a gift. I don't got to do nothing. It's just going to be dropped off like Amazon. It's just going to drop off and show up at my door. But I know even if it shows up at your door, you still have to go through your door and get it. You know, I'm thankful for Amazon, but I'm not having to come into my house and drop stuff off. I'll drop it off the doorway, good. I'll take it in and wipe it off or do whatever you got to do. But I still have to go get it. And some of the victory you are looking for this year is on the battlefield. That if you never show up at the battlefield, you won't get the victory. But too many of you are intimidated by battle. You're intimidated to fight. You've allowed last year to intimidate you. You have allowed the news to intimidate you. You have allowed the politicians to intimidate you. You have allowed what people said about the church to intimidate you. You've allowed people, Facebook philosophers and Twitter theologians to tell you that the church isn't important anymore, essential anymore. And you're intimidated by taking a stand for God. You're intimidated by people who have stood for God and said cuckoo things last year. Now, there are some victories that if you want to receive it, you have to show up to the battlefield. Yeah, there's some victories you'll get, not confronting much, but the big battles, the spoils of war, are at the battle. Now, there are gifts from God and rewards from God. They're two, that's two different things. But the victory is a gift, but you must show up to the battlefield. It's time out for being Christians who just hide from everything and put it under the guise of the rapture. Now, I believe in the rapture. Jesus is coming soon. If you didn't think so before, a lot of people started thinking last year, well, you know, Jesus could come back at any moment. We didn't think it could get this crazy this quick. Jesus is coming soon. It is a fact. It is true. The scriptures point to it. But here's one of the things I want you to understand. That if every time something bad or challenging happens in your life and you believe that means Jesus must come back today, that is weak theology. That is a weak belief system. Because what that causes you to do is run to your house, hide in your closet, make sure you're holy, make sure you're living right, and you look to the sky, come on Jesus, get me, get me, get me. But what if, just what if, just imagine Jesus come back for a glorious church without spot and wrinkle, a triumphant church, that while they're waiting for his return, they're handling business on the earth. They're making a difference in the community. They're making a difference in their city. They're making a difference in their state. They're standing up for what God wants to stand up. They're bringing forth the manifestation of the glory of God on the battlefield instead of out and hiding. God hasn't called those for us to be those who hide and wait for the return of Jesus. He calls for us to do what he called us to do and expect the return of Jesus. So just imagine Jesus' perspective. He says he's coming back. He's looking for people who have faith in the earth, right? But who is showing the faith? The people hiding out in their homes waiting for Jesus to come back? Just hiding out in the closet. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up. You see the election? Hurry up. You see the economy? Hurry up. Did you see what they said on the news? Hurry up, Jesus. Come on. 
or the people who are out doing what God has called them to do. And as they do that, they say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come on, Jesus, come on back. We have people we're winning for you. What is more valuable on Jesus' side? The people in hiding or the people who really believe that victory is a gift and they've received it from God? See, we have a vision for such a time as this to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And that's not accomplished by people who won't go to the battlefield. Because the awakening is, yes, connected to what we do here in this building and our campuses and online and through Faith Plus. But the awakening is also ignited by your lives. By whatever God has called you to do, whatever arena he's called you to serve in, whatever place he's called you to go, that you're living on fire from God and where you go causes things to ignite. It's all of us together. Mark chapter 11. Verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now, why is this important? When you read in Mark chapter 11, Jesus walked by the fig tree once, didn't say anything to it, walked by again, didn't say anything to it. And then the next day, he was hungry. Jesus got hungry. He was human. He was 100% man, 100% God. And he checked the fig tree for fruit, but it was none. And then he spoke nine words to it. No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And you got to know, See, some of us know the story. She's so like, oh, yeah, of course, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. If you were just walking with me and I started talking to plants, you're like, Pastor, you've lost it. You need a vacation, Pastor. You're talking to plants. Now, I've seen my spiritual father talk to a plant before. I remember I was in Southfield. I was interning at the church. This is over man, a decade and a half ago. I'm walking through the campus of Southfield. I think I was interning youth ministry. So I was walking from the youth building, and I hear Bishop's voice booming. I'm like, oh, who is listening to Bishop preach? It's like someone's in the car just blasting Bishop. And I walk a little bit closer, and I see Bishop speaking to a forest. Now, I knew this story, so I wasn't too perplexed by it. But he had to move some land so that he can have extra parking for people to come to church. And there was some opposition against him. So he had his Bible out there by himself talking to it. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have a new parking lot. And guess what we did? Had a new parking lot. But we have the perspective of 2,000 years later. Jesus talking to fig tree, and he knows disciples were thinking, okay. Now, you know, especially Peter. Peter usually said something, but on this day, Peter was quiet. But you know they're all thinking about it. Jesus is talking to a tree. He goes in, clears out the temple, comes back. And the next day, 24 hours later, they look at the tree, and it was dried up from the roots. Which lets me know sometimes how faith works. It deals with the root of the issue before the fruit. Some of you are focused on the fruit of the problem, but you need to get to the root of it. And it dried up from the roots, and Peter called him and said, Master, teacher, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. Notice what Jesus responded to him said. Have faith in God. So this lets me know my faith in God is displayed by the words of my mouth. It's a good thing to write down or put in the chat. My faith in God is displayed by the words of my mouth. There's no such thing as silent faith, quiet faith. Because if your faith won't move your mouth, it won't move your mountain. If your faith is not strong enough to move your mouth, it will not move your mountain. Your faith in God is displayed by the words of your mouth. And so Peter was impressed about the fig tree, this giant tree that is dried up from the roots. And she said, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you. So Jesus would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly. Or to borrow a phrase from Generation Z, I'm going to say it just for you, no cap. That was for you. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Look at this verse again. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, 
be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, nine words again, or ten if you count the end, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Say or saith is mentioned three times. Believe is mentioned once. Sometimes it's not the issue of belief in your heart. It's the words of your mouth. Because it's believe in your heart. It didn't say believe in your mind. Your mind can think this is crazy. You can have a whole bunch of doubt in your mind. But as long as you have faith in your heart, it's fine. Your mind is being renewed by the word of God. And so the more you put the word in, the more faith grows in your heart and the more your mind is transformed. But in the process, you need to make sure the words of your mouth are right. Sometimes, or it's the three times Jesus said, say or saith, and one time he said, believe. So you need to make sure that if you want victory this year, you need to make sure you're speaking victory. You need to make sure the words of your mouth are speaking victory. I had an opportunity to share on a Clubhouse couple days ago to a group of actors and producers and filmmakers and I encouraged them I said if you want to experience what God has for you this year you need to say what he tells you to say no matter what you come against you need to say if God has called you to be an actor you need to say I'm an actor if God has called you to be a writer you need to say I'm a writer if God has called you to be a producer you need to say that you are a producer you need to say what God says about you because everything in your life could seem opposite but if God has called you to this if this is what God has anointed you to do that's how you need to identify yourself Say, so, well, I haven't produced anything yet, but then you're saying it by faith. I'm not saying you have to tell everybody this is who you are. I'm telling you, you look in the mirror and you say, this is who I am. What is that? Faith. Your faith in God is displayed by the words of your mouth. But also, your faith in everything else is displayed by the words of your mouth. Because whatever you talk about a lot, tweet about a lot, post about a lot, tells you what you're impressed by. Because if all you're talking about is the pandemic, you are very impressed by the pandemic. Now, COVID-19 is an enemy, and you should protect yourself. You should do all the natural things against it. I'm not telling you not to. I say, ignore it. Don't wash your hands. and do No, please don't be unwise. I want to say stupid, but unwise. Do the wise things. But it doesn't mean you talk about it all day. Because then what is your expectation? COVID-19. No, it's there, but my expectation is protection and healing. My expectation is deliverance. My expectation... Your expectation should be that even if you have those symptoms, you're healed and delivered from it. If they said you have it, you recover quickly from it. That is your expectation. Your expectation is always healing, health, and victory, no matter what happens, no matter what you feel, no matter the doctor's report. So that means if that is our expectation, we should talk more about healing than viruses. So, oh, well, we don't know. Congress didn't give us a $2,000. We want it. Man, that would have been nice. But instead of talking about Congress... How about we talk about God's provision? That no matter what Mrs. Pelosi or Mr. McConnell do, see, no matter, see, I want to call this a Sister Pelosi or Brother McConnell, because I don't know what they believe, but I believe they're in the kingdom of God. And I pray for them. So no matter what Sister Pelosi or Brother McConnell do, my God provides. No matter what happens in the election this week, my God provides. No matter who gets in, my God provides. No matter what happens this month, my God provides. So instead of talking about, man, Congress didn't give me what I wanted. Congress didn't send me my stimulus check. My God provides. I choose to be more impressed by God than the United States Congress. And I'm going to display with the words of my mouth. Not going, I can't believe they didn't send me my check. You know the government's broke, right? But the kingdom of heaven is not. So instead of being impressed by what the Congress does or doesn't do, Father, I'll talk about what you do all day long. Because you haven't brought me this far to leave me, and you're faithful. Your name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. Your name is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. So whether I get a big stimulus check or not, you are a provider, and you are faithful. What are you impressed by? What is dominating your conversations? Because if your faith can't move your mouth, it won't move your mountain. Well, I'm afraid if that person gets elected. Why? Well, this will happen hard in my life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So your faith is more in a senatorial candidate than in your God. Whoever is elected, guess what? Will be elected. Whoever is elected is going to the Senate. 
but whoever's elected does not change the faithfulness of my God. I refuse to make Republicans and Democrats my idol. That is a poor savior to bow down to. I refuse to worship a political candidate. My God is still God. Yes, I'll vote. Yes, I'll do what God has told me to do. Yes, I'll use what I've been given as a citizen of this nation. But my faith is not in the election. My faith is in God. So whoever wins, that just means who I'm focused on in prayer. That's all it means. What are you impressed by? Because what you talk about. And some of us are impressed by sin. What do you mean? Because every time a sinner sins, ooh, did you see what that sinner did? What they do? Sin. Oh, it went viral. Yes, sinner shared what the sinner did. Why are you impressed by sin? That's what sinners do. But my Bible tells me where sin abounds, much more does the grace of God. So instead of talking about the sin, I'm going to talk about the grace of God for this time. Oh man, a lot of things are going on, but man, that grace must be strong. Oh yeah, a lot of people do this, but the grace must be stronger. What are you impressed by? What are you always talking about and posting about and sharing? That tells you what your faith is in. Your faith in God or your faith in anything else is displayed by the words of your mouth. Jesus said, say three times, believe once. You got to watch your mouth. And now in an age where you can post, tweet, TikTok, and a whole bunch of other stuff, watch that too. Because you imagine that if you go viral on TikTok or Instagram reels or whatever, people may start saying what you're saying. So what words are you putting in their mouths? What words are you sharing? Because somebody will believe you. You may just be ranting. You must be just upset. But they say, you know what? That's truth. I build my life on it. And you quickly repented and maybe even deleted it, but someone else saw it. Our words are important. Our words have influence. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Believe that you receive. Another word for receive is to take. So I can walk up to you and give you this, and you can just stare at it. It's a gift for you, but it doesn't do you any good till you take it. God can tell you your victory is over here, but it doesn't do any good till you go up and take it since victory is a gift. And most of you, your victory is on the battlefield this year. You got to show up to the battle and take what God has given you. Another word for receive is to take. You must believe you take it when you pray. Whatever you're asking God for, whether it's healing, whether it's wisdom, whether it's peace, whether it's provision, whether it's deliverance, when you pray, by the time you say amen in your heart, you must say, I got it. It's mine. I take it now. That's what you have to do. That's what faith does. Faith says I have it when it looks like you don't. Now I'm not telling you go buy a house and tell the bank that it's tell the people you're buying a house all oh, the money's in the bank. No, that's called fraud. Don't do that. Don't write a check in faith. Don't, don't. And get called, Pastor, they threw me in jail. I was using my faith. No, 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 that wasn't faith. That wasn't presumption. That was foolishness. That's not what faith is. What do you do? Now, Father, you told me you'd provide. So I take my provision and I thank you for it. Now I ask your wisdom on how to move forward. And whatever he tells you to do, you do. See, faith will have you talk and say stuff that people are like, why would you say it? You know, I was sharing with a bishop in November about my house, about, you know, we moved into this house a little bit, almost three years ago now. And when we looked at it, it wasn't on the market. We were looking in the area, but I walked in and I said, this is the house. And right after I said, the next day, guess what happened? It was on the market. And guess what? We got it for a better deal. Words in my mouth. And so a few friends of mine who are pastors in the city said, all right, Carrick, when we go to buy a building, you're coming with us. We just need you to walk in the building and say, this is the church and we'll take it from here. Why? The words of my mouth affect stuff. That if you want stuff to manifest, you need to open your mouth and say it. 
you need to say what God says. Don't just make up your own words. Because how did Jesus get these nine words to the mountain, the fig tree? From the Father. He said, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see him do. And so that means you need to spend time with God. Say, God, what word should I say to this problem? Now, it's good to quote the scriptures and go through the scriptures. You should do that. You say it on a regular basis. It builds your faith. It frames the world around you. But you also need to ask God specifically, what should I say to this situation? Okay, Father, my kid is struggling in this area. What should I say about this in prayer? And what should I speak to them? Because how many know that calling them what they're doing is not going to fix it? You keep telling them what they're doing is not going to fix it. They're going to believe it. That's just who I am. Now, yes, you discipline. Yes, you correct. But it doesn't mean you confirm it with the words of your mouth. All right, Father, what should I say about them? Not just before you, but to them. See, you can correct an issue without damaging your child's self-esteem. You can say what you did was unwise, what you did was stupid, but you aren't stupid. What you did was sin, but that's not who you are. You have to differentiate, make a difference between the two. But you can do that when you get the words of God for it. And sometimes it's a process. Well, I spoke the word. My child didn't change. That was five minutes ago. Bruh, sis, give it a moment. Because you know you didn't change overnight. And some of you are frustrated because your child is acting like you. Well, give them some grace. Someone gave you grace because you're still here. Faith is sometimes a process. So make sure you stay before God concerning your children. Because you can't do it in your natural mind. Because one of the things you understand, even before 2020, the world for your child or for your teenager wasn't like it was for you. Even if you're a younger parent. It's not. It's a whole different place. Your kids and your teenagers deal with things you cannot even imagine. They've told you about half of what they actually deal with. So I remember when I was a youth pastor, and the world's changed since then, a decade ago. The things the middle schoolers were dealing with, I'm like, how are y'all showing up to school drunk? You're seventh graders. Why is your water bottle filled with vodka? Middle schoolers. Whole different world. Whole different things to deal with. In addition to what you dealt with. An onslaught of the enemy concerning depression and suicide. When they're 10, eight, it's a whole different world. The attack of the enemy has been amped up. So that means if I'm going to raise a child in this time, I need the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. It's not just what my parents taught me. But what, Holy Ghost, what do I do right now? How do I address this situation right now? There are things that your child may see before the age of 15 that you didn't even see till you were 50. You didn't even know it existed. You heard about it, but you thought that was a rumor. And now they're completely informed about it. And now they also have something called the internet. Because they can, okay, mom said this, pastor said this, but this professor over here said this. So what do you respond to that? What is the Holy Ghost telling your spirit? That if you're going to succeed in this time, you have to follow the Holy Ghost and know how to speak words of faith. You know, it's something that Pastor David shared in the session last night. We've gotten to a place where living by faith is not even an option. It is what's before you. This is what you got to do. This is a lifestyle, not a moment, not a movement. See, faith, when you look at Hebrews, it's the foundation. It's elementary. It's kindergarten. But there are believers who've lived decades and still haven't gone through kindergarten yet. And faith is the doorway. You receive everything from God. See, the thing is, too many people have lived from a place where, what's the best way to say it? Well, I had a miracle. But they put more faith in where they had a miracle than understanding how they received it. So that's why you had some denominations. I'm not faulting them. This is just what we've seen in the last 100, 150 years. Well, Mama got filled with the Holy Ghost when she cried on this spot. 
So if I get to this spot and I cry and I shake back and forth and someone shakes me and says, hold on, and someone else says, let go, I'll receive the Holy Ghost. So now their faith is in a process instead of the one who gives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we've done it so much that what really happened when Mama received the Holy Ghost is at one point, somehow in all that, she released her faith and received it. It wasn't the spot. It wasn't the shaking. It was the faith. And sometimes, some of us receive better in certain places than others because that's just become a point of contact. What is a point of contact? A place where you've developed in your mind or your heart, whether you knew it or not, is this is where I'll release my faith. Everything's by faith. The anointing I walk in to be a pastor is by faith. The anointing I walk in to preach and teach the word is by faith. Because these days I get up like, ooh, I'm tired. Lord, I don't feel anointed at all. At all. Even your body tell you, yeah, bro, you ain't anointed today. But my anointing is not about my feelings. God told me I'm anointed to do this, so I choose to believe him. And so I have a point of contact when I come up here. When we do our faith confession, that is my point of contact. When I say I take, one of the things I'm also saying in my heart, I take the anointing for this message. It's faith. It's not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. If faith was a feeling, we'd be defeated a lot of our life. Faith is a choice. It's the decision. It's a belief in your heart and the words of your mouth and the actions you take to follow up with it. There's going to be a whole bunch of feelings you had last year and this year, but that can't determine your faith. You can use your faith when everything else is screaming at you. You can choose faith when your emotions are out of whack. You can choose faith when everything else is going on but it must be your choice in the words of your mouth. Not just one day, but every day. This is a lifestyle, not a moment. Faith is trust, confidence, reliance, assurance, belief, and fidelity. It's trust, confidence, reliance, assurance, belief, and fidelity. So that means the words I speak display my trust in God. The words I speak display my confidence in God. The words I speak show my reliance on God. The words I speak show my assurance of what God is going to do. So that means we need to watch what we say and need to make sure we're not repeating things just because it's popular. A lot of us did that in 2020. Oh, this is a horrible year. Oh, this is a horrible year. Because it was popular to say so. Do you fit in if you said it? I just refuse to say it. I say, no, there are some challenges. There are some things I wish we didn't have to go through this year. There's a, whole, there's a list of them. But I kept saying, this is my year of restoration. I take it. I choose to be restored this day. In the midst of everything else, I take restoration. So there will be challenges this year, but you know, I take victory. I'm more impressed by God's victory than the challenge I face. Too many of you are impressed by Goliath instead of your covenant. You have a covenant keeping God. See, faith doesn't prevent all mountains from showing up in your life, but it can remove every mountain. Whether it's a one's foul swoop or piece by piece, faith can remove the mountain. The Bible did not say that you will not have challenges. It says you will have tribulation in this world, which means pressure. You will have things that happen in your life that brings pressure to your life. But the way you overcome it is by faith, it tells us in 1 John that our victory is by faith. We receive our victory through faith. So that means things will happen. That's not a negative confession. Things will happen, but I win by faith. What is faith? Knowing I have the victory. What is faith? Knowing that this is not how it's going to end. What is that faith? Yeah, I can have heaven on earth, and then when I die, I can go to heaven. That's faith. And we have to be faith people even when the world is full of fear, and fear is popular. And that if you speak by faith, they call you crazy. They already think you're crazy, so just, you know, go ahead and prove them right and speak by faith. And then when it shows up in your life, they're like, you know what? I think it pays to be crazy. Your life becomes a witness. Or as Paul says, an epistle or a letter read by all men. The world needs to see your victory this year. 
they need to hear you give the testimony of how God delivered you, of how God healed you, how God brought you through, or how God provided for you, or how God kept your family, how God delivered your family. The world needs to hear your testimony. There are testimonies on TikTok going viral because people talk about what God did for them. This is what the world needs now. They need us more than ever. Whether what state you live in, the government may think you're essential or not. They need us more than ever. So we have to be the church. Not the Republicans and the Democrats. Not the progressives and the conservatives. The church. Now we can have a whole bunch of different political views in this room. I don't care. What do we send around? Jesus. From different generations and backgrounds, what do we send around? Jesus. Our faith in Jesus. That if I'm going to receive victory this year, it's coming through faith because victory is a gift. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We begin to bring this to a close. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. We'll look at verse 12. First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 12. Looking at the first part of the verse. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. This word fight means to enter a contest, to contend in the gymnastic games. Talking about the games the Greeks and the Romans would compete in. It means to contend with adversaries. Metaphorically, it means to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, to strive, to obtain something. So when we look at number three, to contend, to struggle with difficulties and dangers, we think about the difficulties and dangers that are in our life, in our nation this year. There are some struggles. There are some difficulties. There are some learning curves that some of you were used to being able to do everything in person. Now you got to learn online. That's a struggle. Or how do I still connect with somebody and I'm not with them? That's a struggle. There's different things you have to do because of economic uncertainty or different things that happen. That is a difficulty. But how do I compete with the struggles and difficulties of life? By faith. Fight the good fight of faith. So notice the emphasis. He could say, you know, fight in faith and move on. But in a small phrase, he says fight twice. So what is the emphasis of this verse? Fight. I like something that Rick Renner said. He said, the second usage of the word fight is also from the Greek word agon. It is the same word he used when he referred to fight at the first of the verse. It conveys the idea of one who is giving his complete concentration to the conflict and is totally focused on engaging the conflict at hand and achieving victory, regardless how long it takes or how much agonizing effort is required. It is the picture of total commitment to victory. It is the picture of total commitment to victory. It is focused on winning. That if someone is training for a fight, they're focused on that fight. And then when they get in the ring, they're focused on the victory. What happens if you're boxing, especially another heavyweight champion, and you get distracted? You start looking at the stands. You start looking at the ref. You start looking at everybody else. You about to get knocked out. You have to be focused. But if you get distracted by the struggles and the difficulties, if you get distracted by everything the news is saying, if you get distracted by everything the politicians are tweeting, you can get knocked out. Yes, be aware of what's going on, but don't focus on it. If anything you've learned last year, don't always believe what the politicians are saying or what the news is saying, because they don't know what they're talking about either. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they fill in space before the commercial hits. Your faith can't come from that. If you want victory this year, you have to focus. Victory is a gift, and you receive it by faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Why is it a good fight? One, we win. Two, the way we fight. 
the way we fight makes it a good fight. See, if you are into boxing or different types of sports like that, it doesn't make it a good fight just because a person won. You know, when they analyze it, man, look at that punch. Look at this counter. Look at this block. They're analyzing the way the person fought. And it's a good fight, not just because he had victory, but the way in which he fought. It's a good fight for us because of the way we fight and the end of the fight. And the way we fight and the end of the fight is still produced by faith. So us deciding to wake up in the morning and thank God for the victory is part of the good fight. Us deciding to read the word every day is still part of the good fight. Us deciding to pray in the spirit every day is still part of the good fight. Us deciding to pray in the natural every day is still part of the good fight. Us declining to proclaim things in faith is still part of the good fight. Us deciding to back up our faith by actions is still part of the good fight. It's part of the technique. And the end result of winning in the day and eventually the victory is still by faith. But it's not just what we do on Sunday. It's what we do every day. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. We'll back up to verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. What are the strategies of the devil? Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. All of those things are wrapped in fear and accusations and lies. Those are the strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not the Republicans or the Democrats. Your real enemy is not Karen. Your real enemy is not the people in the media. Your real enemy is not whoever social media is telling me is the enemy. Your real enemy are principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But notice how Paul phrases it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice how many times he says against. And so what is the focus of this verse? Against. Let he know it's a fight. But this word against comes from the Greek, which talks about a face-to-face -face battle. Face-to-face -face conflict which means in your everyday life, you are face-to-face -face with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Face-to-face. -face. You're in battle. Now the thing is, Satan doesn't show up with a pitchfork. Because some of you would finally use your authority in Jesus if he showed up as a pitchfork. He'll show up through philosophies. Thoughts people, even sometimes well-meaning people, that he influences to say stuff. Facebook posts, TV shows, different things to get you back away from your faith in God. But you have to understand and recognize it for what it is. You know what? That's the enemy. Nope, I refuse to believe it. See, sometimes the strategies also determine on the region you live in. That you can drive through different regions and just pick up something. A random thought hits your head. It's like, I never think about that. What is that? Get out of my head. Just the enemy in the area is trying to see if you'll buy the thought. These principalities and powers sit over regions. Even certain schools. I remember one time, First Lady, uh, one of the things she did when we were in Texas, she was a substitute teacher. And so she would go in to different schools and just have wild favor God that didn't even make sense. Didn't make sense. So she went into middle school. They would always assign her to the worst school in the worst district. That's where she showed up. And one time she said she got there. I don't know if she was just getting her paperwork straight for the next day or whatever. And she walked in and she saw a spirit sitting over the school. And it looked at her and said, what are you doing here? What did it recognize who she was in God? 
And so she would go into schools, and so she sometimes, I remember one time specifically, she was in the worst school in the worst district with the worst class, and they took the worst kids who were behaving the worst out of that class and gave them to her. And so she was just her. She taught, and then at one point she says, look, and she started telling them about Jesus. She went over a sermon of faith and shared it with them. And it went throughout the whole school. And the principal came to her and said, it's about time someone told them about Jesus. And then she would have times the teachers would come to her because she's talking to middle schoolers. And she has, in this middle school, they're pregnant eighth graders. And their kids thinking, this is how we're supposed to live. It's like, no, 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 no. And she began to tell them our testimony. She says, yeah, my husband and I didn't sleep together until we got married. And the thing is, that didn't impress the kids as much as it impressed the teachers. So the teachers began to come to her and said, hey, hey, how did y'all do that? Whoa, 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 what, what, what was the strategy? What, what, what did y'all do? I said, this is our decision before God. She was in a place where her faith became viral. That's what it said about the Church of Rome. Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And so there are places where most people wouldn't see the principality or the power sitting there. But you know what they would see? The influence, the philosophy, the gossip, what's running around, what are people doing? And you don't realize, those of you who are educators, you're there for such a time as this. That you have an angelic guard assisting you with the battle. But your angels fight as you speak faith and you decide to show up. You're there for a purpose. In your office, whatever you're working. Thank God in the hospital. So thank God we got some Holy Ghost nurses and doctors in this church. You're making a difference. You're there for a reason. And sometimes you say it's like a fight to go to work. Yeah, it's a fight. Because you're there for a reason. Your presence alone is the salt of the earth. But imagine if your presence amplified because you spoke faith. That you say, well, my business, the company I'm working for is having hard times because of the pandemic. Well, what are you speaking concerning your business? I remember as a college student, I was sharing with some of the younger guys earlier this week that, you know, I worked four jobs and 18.5 credit hours in college. So I was always moving. Someone said, how do you do it? Grayson Caffeine, a whole bunch of caffeine. And so one of the jobs I worked at was at a company called Finish Line. I was selling shoes in the mall. And when they brought me aboard because of part of a business program I was with the university, they blessed me in what they were paying me on hourly rate. It was beyond entry level for most people. And so I said, well, God, since they blessed me, I want them to be blessed. And so I would go in and have a four-hour shift and sell thousands of dollars in a four-hour shift. was my faith was set. And then there would be times where I would double that, and their manager would come to me and said, you know, Carrick, you can go home whenever you want because you've covered the cost to hire you and somebody else. My faith was set on this store to do well. And you say, oh, that must have been in a good mall. No, there was, it was in the other mall, the mall they didn't expect too much from. It was in an area of town that before I moved to that city, my family told me, you have no business being on that side of town. And the only time I was there is now when I'm working as a senior in college. But what happened? That store began to do well. Why? I was there. My faith was set on this doing well. So expand your faith from just blessing you, making a difference where you are. That whatever school or business or neighborhood you're in, your faith is affecting it. Let your faith go viral. Because by faith, you receive victory. And victory is a gift. But you need to go where the gift is. You need to show up on the battlefield. This is a year to fight. If it's a year of winning and victory, it implies you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight the good fight. Understand who your real enemy is. Don't get distracted. Too many people in the church have gotten distracted and have called the Republicans and the Democrats their enemies. They're not your enemies. They're not. They're people. People aren't your enemies. Sure, people and political parties can yield to the devil. But that doesn't mean they're your enemies. You're going to have to show up on the battlefield and fight the way God tells you to fight. Because you can fight by faith. He'll also tell you to forgive. Because Mark 11, after it talks about faith, it says, while you stand praying, forgive. If you want your faith to work, you're going to have to forgive everybody, 
of everything. You can't be offended at everybody and think your faith is working. You can't be offended at President Trump and think your faith is working. You can't be offended at the Democrats and think your faith is working. You can't be offended at Congress for not giving you $2,000 and think your faith is working. That if you want your faith to work on the highest level, you have to forgive everybody of everything and choose to follow the wisdom of God and walk in love. One of the things I saw, you know, I was studying the light in December, that our actions to walk in love, to forgive, they are armor. The script, King James calls it armor, but when you look at the Greek word, it means weapons, instruments, they're weapons. Deciding to walk in love is a weapon. Deciding to forgive is a, is a weapon. And as I use those weapons, I make a damage in the kingdom of darkness. So if I'm going to have victory, I'm going to have to do it God's way. Not my own way. Now, whatever my flesh is telling me to do, whatever my flesh is telling me to say, no, if I want victory, I'm going to have to do this God's way. I fight the good fight of faith. It's not just good because of the outcome. It's also good because of the technique. And this is what you're going to do every single day. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Fight the good fight of faith. This is a year of winning and victory. It's a year of unprecedented victory. But we must do, we must learn how to use our faith on purpose. Just like a mechanic knows how to use a tool, we need to learn how to use our faith that way. To where it's not an accident. Some of us try to put so many things of the spiritual to where there's nothing natural I can do with. No, you need to know how to use your faith on purpose. So you don't accidentally run into a miracle, but you receive miracles on purpose. You don't accidentally run into a breakthrough, you receive it on purpose. You don't accidentally run into victory. Ooh, I don't know how God did it, but I'm thankful. Nope, I know how he did it. I received it by faith. Now I might not know what avenue he brings it through or how it's going to show up, but I know it's going to connect it by faith. So don't limit God to how he brings you out. Just know he'll bring you out. Don't limit God to the way he causes you to win. Just know he's going to cause you to win. He's going to cause you to triumph. It's like one of the times with David, one of his battles, that the Philistines came against him, the army came against him, and he went to battle and he won. The Lord told him how to fight that time. And the next time, the enemy came the exact same way. And what a lot of us would have done is said, well, God told me to do this last year. That's exactly what I'm going to do this year, right? But David had enough sense to inquire of the Lord again. Say again. And he says, Lord, should I go at them this way? He says, no, go around them. Go around the other way. And the victory came when he went the other way. What is the key? Following the Spirit of God. Following the wisdom of God. Inquiring of the Lord. Asking God, what should I do today? And him giving you the direction. That's how you experience victory. And the thing is, we're good at inquiring of everybody else. Social media. Family. Friends. Random people we don't know on social media. Google. Alexa. We're good at inquiring of all those people. Well, well just maybe we ask the one who knows everything. Because there's a lot of stuff that Google doesn't know. A lot of stuff Alexa doesn't know. But the Holy Ghost knows everything. And it doesn't mean you go copy what someone else did. Well, God told them to do it, so I'm going to do it. No. You know God. Say, I know God. Say, I know his voice. The voice of a stranger. I will not follow. So you ask him, sir, what should I do about this situation? What are your instructions for me today? My good shepherd, where are you leading me to? And you follow his instructions. And he'll lead you to victory. But it's important that you do what he tells you to do. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. 
hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.